Welcome to the Sales Lead Dog Podcast, hosted by CRM technology and sales process expert, Christopher Smith, talking with sales leaders that have separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Listen to find out how the best of the best achieve success with their team and CRM technology. And remember, unless you are the lead dog, the view never changes. Welcome to Sales Lead Dog. We have a great episode today. Uh, joining us today, we have Andrew Edinger. Andrew, welcome to Sales Lead Dog. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Appreciate the opportunity. Andrew, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, I'm the Chief Revenue Officer of a company called Astronomer, and we are the commercial developers of Apache Airflow, which is a pretty popular open source project that was incubated at Airbnb and spun out to really help uh, people in the data community orchestrate and manage their data pipelines uh, and enable them to get from point A to point B in a very consistent, reliable manner that allowed them to create the dependencies uh, necessary between the data sets so that they could drive and derive interesting work from them. Uh, it's been a very vibrant community with over 600,000 downloads of the project every month. So we're thrilled to be a part of that and help grow that data community. Uh, previous to that, I've uh, been at startups and uh, the one for the longest time was at Pivotal uh, for 10 years, uh, where we also took an open source community around uh, Spring uh, and a very popular open source Java framework to really help fuel companies' adoption of microservices-based applications from the legacy world into the cloud. Uh, and we uh, had a flagship product that did that and went from zero to 500 uh, million in ARR over you know four or five years and went public and had a, a pretty nice exit there. So I uh, spent a lot of time in open source and helping to grow and scale companies and love it. Yeah, no, it's awesome. That's one of the things I excited me about having you on the show is what you're doing, because that is such a huge component for any business is that movement of data and having uh, confidence in that that whole process. So that's I'm really excited to have you here. Um, question I'd like to start off every show with is uh, tell me about the person who has impacted your career the most. Thanks, Chris. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, and it's a hard one, right? And uh, people are probably not going to believe it uh, when I answer this because it's my boss today. But <laughs> it's not actually because he's my boss today, right? And uh, it's because he hired me 10 years ago. Uh, where uh, we had a phone call on a Friday and he asked if I could be in California on Monday. Uh, I told my wife, she thought I was crazy. Uh, she called and said, how'd the, how'd the interview go at the end of Monday? And I said, I took the job. And she said, what job? I was like, I don't know. Uh, and she said, well, what are they paying you? I said, I didn't even ask. And she said, well, before you return back to the East Coast, why don't you find your mind? Because you clearly lost it. And I said, look, uh, I just got a feeling, uh, you know, what they're up to here is pretty special. Uh, and the person I have an opportunity to work for, Joe Otto, uh, is uh, someone I could learn a lot from and has had deep experience uh, and really felt that connection that he could help me uh, propel into the next phase of my career. And uh, it happened and couldn't be more thrilled to uh, be reunited with him again as we went and worked together for the last 10 years uh, at Astronomer. And it's, uh, it's fabulous. What do you, has he ever shared with you and in, in about what was it about you that he saw in you that he said, I need to have you on my team? 
Yeah, well, I could tell you what it wasn't. And uh, at the time it was Greenplum Software, which was an analytic MPP database that competed with the likes of Teradata and Netiza. He certainly didn't hire me for my technical abilities to understand what data warehousing and analytics were because I had no idea. Uh, but what I've learned about Joe is he has this uncanny ability to identify talent and put them in the right position to succeed and grow. And what he saw in me uh, was intellectual curiosity, uh, insane work ethic, uh, and the ability to think in terms of business outcomes, where traditionally the industry was talking about speeds and feeds. And uh, he admits now he did it as a project, but thank God, uh, you know, I didn't know that then that someone wanted to toy with my life as a project, but uh, I guess it worked out all right. Oh yeah, that's great. Uh, what are the three things that you feel have really contributed the most to your success? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I hit on a little bit of it there. Right. Uh, you know, the first one is just uh, insane work ethic and hustle, right? Which is so intuitively obvious and everyone says it and it might be cliche, but actually doing it matters. Uh, the second thing really is this notion of having intellectual curiosity uh, for the industry, for technology, for how things operate and work. And I really fundamentally believe that you, if you don't understand the world inside out, it's very difficult for, it to, for you to then bring it you know, outside in. And I think the uh, third thing that I've always responded to per the conversation on Joe and what I try to practice is really leading from the front. Uh, and being visible and not being afraid to roll your sleeves up and get after it and do all of the hard work and the little work necessary and lead by example. And I think those things uh, have certainly served me well uh, in, in, in a multitude of uh, fashions. Right. You talked to quite a bit about your insane work ethic. Does that mean you work really long days or do you work, try to work really, really smart in your, <laughs> your defined work day? Well, look, the right answer is to work, you know, smarter, not longer. And that's the right answer. But we're in the middle of COVID in a pandemic where this, you know, lovely chair and room that I'm sitting in, uh, I do spend a lot of time in. Uh, so it's both. But I do it because I love it. And it is a right. passion. It's a hobby. Uh, and in some respects, you know, it's uh, a sport for me. Like I just enjoy being part of it, being and and, and growing with it. So uh, I do both uh, for better or for worse of being the right answer wrong. That's that's uh, that's right. a reality. What do, you, what do you do to maintain work life balance and any tips there? Or? Uh, I don't know that I have any great tips, but I've got a wonderful family uh, that's not just incredibly supportive, but, you know, I've got kids that are 18 and 16 and we're pretty active and uh, work out and uh, play sports together and, uh, you know, spend spend a lot of good time, uh, you know, going to great restaurants and, um, you know, exploring, exploring together. So it's very important. Yeah. I've learned my kids are pretty much the same age as yours. And I've, I've found it's not really about the quantity of time. It's really about the quality, making sure you're getting that, those quality moments. When yeah, you no, you're right. You're, you're spot on. You're spot yeah. on the inverse of my work answer. Right. Uh, right. Yeah, right. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, think it back to when you first got your start in sales. What do you wish you would have been taught at that time? 
I, I actually wish I would have been taught the very basics of sales and whether you like these sales methodologies, whether you hate them and whether you've got religion in one of them, I wish I would have gone through one of those like the first week that I went into sales because I think it would have accelerated a lot of the mistakes that you naturally make as a young sales professional. Even if you were implementing the process the wrong way, you at least would have had some better guardrails. Uh, and so I think that would have uh, certainly been very interesting. Now, knowing myself, there's no way I would have followed it to the rules and I probably wouldn't have stuck with it, but I certainly think it would have helped me avoid a lot of mistakes, that's for sure. Right. What advice would you give to someone who wants to follow your path where you're really going into the entrepreneurial world and eventually getting to a CR role slot? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing, you know, goes back to the intellectual curiosity is really just uh, have a thirsty appetite to want to learn about uh, various different functions and always push yourself to get better. Some good examples there is I joked 10 years ago that I didn't have the expertise technically, but I evolved into a really technical sales professional because I had to. I saw the world changing. I've spent the last year and a half really getting deep in how marketing works and marketing technology and leveraging intent, real intent data as a driver for fundamentally how you approach kind of go-to-market teams. So I think just really having that thirsty appetite to continually learn and push yourself. And then I think on the other side is continually networking in uh, all sorts of various shapes, sizes, and forms, even when you might go into a networking call or event, not really thinking, right, what value it will provide for you uh, that day and have a much longer term view on things. I still call people randomly. I met seven years ago at an airport while our plane was stranded together and all sorts of weird things that, you know, life works in mysterious ways and the world is ultimately smaller than we think it is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have a crazy sale, crazy, funny, funny sales story you can share with us? Uh, that's a good question, Chris. Uh, I think what I would go with was it was uh, going to a meeting and a company will rename uh, anonymous and uh, Mark heard, you know, unfortunately uh, passed away, but was the legendary sales professional at the time at Oracle yeah. was in the meeting before us and it ran late. And so we only had uh, 22 minutes to get our proposal done. And uh, our sponsor had said, right, had let us know that Mark was there. So I, on the cuff, changed our price upward by 3x, knowing that we had a lot of room to go because Mark just set the bar right. uh, and it worked. And my team left and was like, well, that wasn't in the slides. Like, why? How did you do that? I was like, I just thought off the cuff that if Mark Hurd was there, he definitely asked for a, a heck of a lot more money than we did and deservedly so. But right. I felt like the buffer we had was much greater and we got the deal. And it was really funny uh, to kind of look back on that and, and see that happen. And of course, we delivered orders of magnitude, more value and outcomes for the customer. Right. So it all worked out. Uh, yeah. But, you know, certainly had uh, Mark Hurd to, to, to thank. And it actually uh, was pretty cool to see him, you know, leave a meeting as you were coming in. What what was your reaction when you found out like hey Mark Hurd is is he's in there before you was that like just a total double take or what what was your reaction 
Yeah, I mean, it was fine. I mean, obviously, we knew they were a big Oracle customer, as everyone oh, yeah. is, and they were a Fortune 50 company. Yeah. Uh, but there were some really strategic negotiations going on for uh, some deals that they were trying to do in the cloud. Right. Uh, and uh, it really, the reaction for us as a small startup at the time was really that we had something of relevance if someone mm -hmm. like that was meeting with them before us and it wasn't competitive at any stretch of the imagination but it really kind of gave us you know some confidence that we were onto something so it was really a, a shot in the arm oh yeah that's huge that's huge and i love the way you just the tap dancing you did to just say hey let's do you know i'm doing this that's awesome <laughs> yeah it was fun it was fun yeah. it was fun could have backfired though so yeah, oh yeah the risk reward the risk reward are exactly done. yep um, tell me about your decision to pursue a sales leadership role, because that's a big jump for a lot of sales guys. What drove your decision? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, you know, my, my, my old boss, uh, Bill Cook, who's also been massively influential in my life and sales career has a saying that says, you'll know that you should do the next job because you're already doing it for three or four or six months before that. Right. And so it's such a natural progression. And I really started to build out our go to market sales plays and sales motions based on driving business outcomes mm -hmm. in uh, an environment that traditionally, as I mentioned earlier, wasn't really thinking in those ways. Mm -hmm. And the way in which I was communicating and presenting to my peers was resonating. And I felt like there was a bigger opportunity to have a more widespread impact inside of the organization. And I wanted to have a bigger impact and kind of bring a team together that I felt I could lead to greater heights and use that as the model going forward. And so I really just leveraged some of the outside of the box thinking uh, and some of the things I was doing to just say, hey, look, like I want to I want to try uh, try this and look like most you know, good sales uh, professionals taking their first leap into management, you get cautioned with all of, you know, the green, red and yellow flags, uh, you know, that are necessary. So thank God I had some good leadership uh, throughout the way. And certainly like most folks made plenty of mistakes along the way that you learn from uh, and that you don't ever think could happen to you and they do. But, you know, nonetheless, uh, it was really just that ability to really want to lead and have a bigger impact. Is that what you look for in the people you're cultivating on your team for a leadership position? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely part of it, right? There's a series of intangibles uh, that certainly go into that. But, you know, I'll give you a great example of a young sales professional very early in his career who's working for me right now, uh, who really stepped up and put an 18 slide, de uh, 18 slide deck together on our sales process, objection handling, and the key personas that we're selling to, and really just raised his hand and said, hey, look, we need this. It's not perfect, mm -hmm. but I've put all my thoughts together. I've interviewed four other people. Uh, could you work with me on this? And could we present this to the broader team? And I think when you start to see things like that, yeah. then you really know that you've got an unbelievable team. And, you know, there's certainly the old saying that, you know, you want to make sure the people who work for you are way better than you. Uh, right. And, and, yep. and I think that's true regardless of, you know, your skill set or tenure. Yeah. We, I haven't yet talked about this on any of our episodes yet, but uh, a key to really being successful, I think, as a leader is having a tremendous team. So when it comes to hiring, what are you looking for um, when you're building your team? 
Yeah, it's a good question, Chris. I, again, I, I don't mean to keep harping on some of the similar concepts that oh, no, I've that's had, good for but, you know, look, I mean, attention to detail is super important. Uh, customers are making significant buying decisions to get outcomes for their company and relying on you to deliver that to them. And they need their, you know, attention to detail uh, really well documented and executed against. Uh, you know, that work ethic certainly plays into that and is key and foundational. Are you willing to go the extra mile to make sure that your customer gets what they need, which might include doing some things that, you know, are less than desirable in the process, you know, certainly maybe internally at a growing startup as well. Uh, and then I think, you know, look, looking at, you know, there is no replacement for intellectual curiosity that I keep harping on, right. but if you're not able to be compelling with your customers and be someone that they want to spend time with and talk about the challenges that they're facing and how you can be, uh, a person to deliver value in that process for them, then you're just never going to make it. And again, all those things are very easy to say. They're hard to do individually, let alone when you put it together and have to carry the pressure of delivering, you know, a, a number and a quota and everything that goes with it. Uh, you know, it's not an easy job for folks. And so I really admire the ones uh, that can put all that stuff together. And for me, it's those are part part of the formula, but I think those are non-negotiable pieces. Yeah. How do you everybody says they have a great work ethic? How do you really tell someone has a work ethic that you want? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question, Chris. I think a lot of it goes into understanding their past successes and failures and really getting detailed on uh, how they went about those, right? And, you know, I borrow and steal a lot of things from the who method of, of interviewing because it really forces you that. to stay true. Yeah. yeah, well, it just forces you to stay true to asking mm -hmm. the second and third and fourth level questions that really yeah. get at the heart of what someone really did. Did you hop onto an ELA and negotiate an extra zero because there was a large ELA going down at one of the large incumbents? Or did you really go and find that opportunity and craft a narrative and develop a new product and create a new segment and repeat that and put all of the work in that's necessary? And look, it's easy to be fooled because good sales professionals are good storytellers, right? right? Uh, so look, inherently that's there, but I always just found taking the time not being rushed and really getting those second, third, and fourth level questions uh, has really uh, benefited me. And look, no one's perfect. You're going to make mistakes in the process, uh, but you try to give yourself the best chance to succeed and be very uh, detail oriented. And I take notes and I review them and, you know, I kind of uh, take it really serious. So, yep. Yeah. That who method is fantastic. It's transformed our hiring process. Um, I love that. Um, what are you looking for? There's specific signs that you're looking for that it's time to, I'm pulling the trigger, it's time to promote this person into a leadership role? Yeah, it's a good question, Chris. I mean, I think, look, I, I, I try to the extent possible to understand uh, everyone that works for me's uh, core objectives and their goals uh, in life. And then certainly, you know, with the company in the next six, nine, 12 months, and then try to work on a plan to get there. Uh, so largely, I try to front load that so that we understand it before it happens so we could put them on a plan and a path to get there. Uh, yeah. But uh, that's obviously not perfect and things will still happen. Uh, look, in a startup, uh, you know, you've got to be scrappy and very uh, opportunistic. 
So a lot of times it's just having uh, a really, uh, you know, solid finger on the pulse of understanding what else you're going to create and plugging uh, those opportunities with talent that you have in other places that would be a great opportunity for them to go own and lead something, whether it's going from sales to customer success or to marketing or to a new consulting services program uh, or the inverse of all of that, really kind of looking at that broad spectrum and making sure that you're getting diverse talent in the truest sense, yep. but also with not a bias towards how something should be done because their experiences come from a different angle. I've always found that if you can get that formula to be right and mix and match that, that you can get outsized results and returns. Yeah. How, when you're pushing people into new territory for them, um, how do you, what's your approach for supporting them? You know, how much rope do you give them and how do you know when it's time to, to tug back a little bit? Yeah. I mean, look, yeah, look, I, I mean, it's not, it's not an easy problem, right? I mean, you right. have to give people the space to uh, succeed and fail and you need to be there to catch them when they fail and give them the motivation to dust themselves off, get back up and go after it again. Right. At the same time, your instinct is, you know, a parent as a leader right. uh, or uh, a supervisor, if you will, uh, is to try to catch them before they fall so that it doesn't happen. But as we all know, sometimes you got to skin your knee uh, to kind of really learn the lesson. Uh, so to the extent possible, you try to minimize that damage uh, and try to give them the guidance on what to look out for, the traps that, you know, they most commonly could fall into uh, and at least give them that warning. And then when they do it anyway, uh, then they are at least they kind of, you know, are, are able to see that and learn. And then it's just the same pitfalls as being a good rep going to manager, right? What got you there is not what will take you to the next level. And yeah. everyone says it'll never happen to me. And, and more times than not, it does. So yeah. it's can you catch that quickly, right? And yeah. uh, shift uh, and be nimble in that approach, right? Is all you can ask for, right? right. What's your cadence for meeting with your sales team? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, very, very uh, traditional in terms of very formally uh, once a week, but then uh, I spend time very deep in the trenches on sales calls uh, with every, you know, person every every waking second. So I'm very active and COVID's actually been an accelerant to that because you're not wasting two days traveling. Right. You know, I live on the East Coast to the West Coast to do a super important meeting and then you're out of touch for a while. So I'm finding that you're able to do a lot more with a lot more people in a condensed amount of time than you otherwise would have, given the environments so we've really taken advantage of that. And I think it served uh, all of us well, me to get a better pulse on the market and the signal, uh, mm -hmm. as well as helping to develop some of uh, the reps in their cadence and their process uh, mm -hmm. and advancing kind of their confidence level. So it's been great. That's awesome. That's awesome. That is one of the benefits of this is that not having spent any of that time on planes or in airports, you get work done. You know, it's uh, that that is one of the positives here. Um, rejection's a big part of sales. Uh, do you have a deal that you remember that really hurt the most? And what about that deal um, changed you that you use today? Yeah, uh, I'll never forget it. As long as I live, I was a young sales professional uh, selling in sort of the big leagues, and we were selling at the time in the late '90s. Uh, it's gonna—I'm gonna date myself, but uh, you know, market data on earnings estimates and stock recommendations, which at the time was really largely just for institutional, uh, you know, buyers and sellers. And we had a deal with the American Stock Exchange. 
uh, and we were ready to close it. And we'll never forget being on the treadmill at the hotel in the morning, getting a little workout in before we were going to close this really big deal. Uh, and CNBC was on and the merger happened with NASDAQ and almost fell off the treadmill uh, and just had that pit in your stomach. Uh, and it was at that time, uh, the notion and the lesson of time killing all deals really struck home. Yeah. Uh, not that you can control a merger, but if you were to then do a retrospective, right, you could have compressed some activities that happened in that sales cycle that ultimately would have given us an opportunity to kind of get that done sooner. And so now just living in that constant, uh, paranoia of time kills all deals, You'll never forget that one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and there's more, unfortunately. Uh, and if you don't have them, that means you're not doing enough deals. But you know, that one certainly st stuck with me at a really early age. Yeah. Do you talk about that? Do you share that story, that experience with your team? All the time. All yeah. the time. All the time. And it was like, you know, look, at the time it was a, a big commission for, you know, someone in their 20s, right? Uh, and uh, like most 20 year olds, you've got great plans for what you're going to do with that money. And it certainly wasn't to go save it, right? Uh, but uh, I do save it. Look, I uh, believe in being vulnerable. I believe in, uh, you know, being uh, someone that can share experiences, good and bad, uh, and proving to people that it's okay uh, to have. Uh, things that go wrong as long as you learn from them and try to foster that culture because I think you believe I believe you get uh, a really healthy tension in the right behavior uh, when yep. when when you enable that to happen. So I try really hard at that. It's not easy, uh, yep. and it's taken me uh, time in my career to uh, really recognize how important that is. But uh, yep. absolutely, that's awesome. CRM always a part of our discussion here. <laughs> do you love it or do you hate it? Stock Salesforce or CRM in general? CRM. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The, the I'm kidding. conceptual I'm kidding. CRM. Uh, look, I mean, it's. Yeah, I don't want to slam any specific. Uh, no, I know. I know. I know. No, and I wasn't slamming Salesforce. It's just CRMs or ticker symbol, right? No, look, it's a proverbial love and hate, right? I mean, I think. Right. At the end of the day, you hate the process of having to make sure that it's updated and screaming at the professionals that sometimes don't always do it on time when you're going into right. a meeting where you need everything to be accurate, et cetera. Yeah. So I think the process of getting it to the state where you need it to be uh, is hate. I think yep. the act of having all of the right information readily available at your fingertips to be able to drive insight and action into your business on uh, like there's no, there's nothing better in the world. Yeah. Uh, so you gotta love that, right? Yep. Because there's no way to do that without it, but getting there is certainly a little bit painful. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, it's so true, especially, you know, it's very consistent theme when I ask that question, it, sales guys, typically it's like, Hey, um, this is really more of a pain than a help for me. So, when you're motivating the sales guys that, hey, this is a key part of what we need of, of our process is using CRM. Um, you know, one of our strategies uh, when we engage with the clients is, is really conveying the why to the sales team, having a really good why. What is your why when you're talking to the sales guys about, you know, when you're trying to get them to buy in? Well, I could be flip about it and tell you the why is because you get a base salary and everyone has work that they have to do with their base salary. That's probably not, you know, at the top of their list if they got to choose everything they work on. Right. So I'd start there. But then if I was not being flip about it, uh, I would tell you that uh, having that information updated in the right way 
enables the right people at the company to provide uh, more strategic value to the things that you're working on. Uh, and, uh, you know, now what you've got to do is work to make sure that's true versus having seven other people call people and scream at them about their forecast or ask them why that deal didn't happen. So you got to make sure you safeguard against that and actually show them that that is in fact going to be true. Uh, but you know, they call that management, right? That's right. That's right. Now you talked about this, this next question I'm going to ask you a little bit before when you were talking about doing retrospectives. Um, I think a really key component of CRM is tracking every deal you lose. Um, what is your feelings about that? How important is it to track the lost deals? I, I, I think it's as important as winning. I, you know, I'm a firm believer in pattern matching uh, at all levels. And you can't properly pattern match unless you have the right set of inputs from things that didn't go well, right? And uh, it's just as important as why you won. And in fact, uh, many times you'll learn more from your losses than you will your wins, right? Uh, 100% which, agree. You know, some folks think is counterintuitive, but it's actually not. Uh, right. So I'm maniacal on the losses and uh, I actually deeply appreciate the opportunity to have a conversation with the executive buyer on the other side to just understand so we can get better and most people are respectful of that. And I typically don't uh, bring the reps onto that call because I don't right. want the buyer to be threatened or I don't want right. there to be any risk of trying to over, overturn the deal. Cause it's like, no, nah, it's done. I just want to learn so we can get better. And, you yeah. know, I found that to be very productive. I think people are afraid to do that, but I think it's so important because as you said, it's the only way you can get better is, is capturing that. Uh, that's one of the things, the early questions we ask when we engage with a client on CRM is, are you tracking your lost deals? Because so many are like, oh no, we only put into CRM the ones that we know we're gonna win. Um, you're, not, you're not getting the benefits of, of that data um, and, and it's a shame. So um, 100% well, it's cross-functional cross too, right? Because yeah. you'll get inputs that drive product decisions and feature prioritization and uh, things that maybe you could be doing better or differently with customer success or your know, support or your marketing materials or your sales process or a whole uh, multitude of things. And so you've got to be on the lookout for all that because, you know, look, this isn't a linear game, right? And so you're going to have to optimize different pieces of your sales supply chain, if you will, and all these interconnected, uh, but, you know, loosely coupled parts. And, you know, you got to work hard to get that formula right. Right. What do you think the biggest struggle companies have with leveraging CRM technology in supporting their sales process? I think just making it simple, right? I, I've just been too many places and seen too many things where it's just overcomplicated. Uh, and I think that then drives the wrong behavior and some of the friction that we uh, spoke about uh, in an implied basis, but you know, is certainly explicitly true. Uh, and I think that's it, right? Which doesn't mean that you can't ask for 15 fields to be filled out, right? But just make them the right fields, right? Yeah. Uh, and make them the right fields that allow you to coach better uh, and allow the reps to see value. And guess what? In turn, they'll yeah. use it more, right? That's that's great advice. That's another thing uh, uh, we really, uh, you know, free CRM advice here is uh, look at your data set and keep it to that minimum. That stuff you really need to have to drive uh, deals in process, everything else, get rid of. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I'll, thanks. I'll take the free advice any day of the week. So I uh, appreciate it. <laughs> well, yeah, it was for you and for everyone listening. <laughs> cool. Um, the uh, um, one question I like to ask, we're, we're getting close to our end time here. Um, the support of the marketing team is really important um, for the sales team. What advice could you give to uh, CMOs in terms of how they're leveraging uh, CRM uh, in support of the sales team? Yeah, I mean, I just think broadly, uh, CMOs and CROs should be best friends. Uh, and the lines between sales and marketing have completely blurred. Uh, and if you don't have the proper alignment between the two, uh, it's never going to work, period. Uh, and I think the CRO, modern CROs of the world need to deeply understand how marketing actually works. Uh, and I think the modern CMOs are able to use that data and help educate how a sales process could work to best support what they're seeing in that data. And I think they complement each other very well. Uh, now that should manifest itself into a centralized system uh, that uses that data that everyone operates off of the same set of assumptions, good, bad, or indifferent, that they then use to drive uh, the downstream activities in whatever uh, area or discipline you're in. And, uh, you know, again, like I said, I, I just firmly believe in uh, that type, that type partnership between, uh, you know, marketing and sales. That's great. I completely agree. Um, we're at our uh, time here. If people want to reach out and connect with you and learn more about astronomy, what's uh, the best way for them to, to connect with you? Yeah, well, we've got a lovely new website at astronomer.io. Uh, so please feel free to visit that if you're using uh, Apache Airflow. Obviously, uh, you know, LinkedIn, uh, I'm happy to uh, speak or collaborate with anyone if you want to reach out. And I'm sure we'll post this uh, there and uh, all my contact details are there and happy to chat with anyone anytime on any subject and uh, appreciate the opportunity, Chris. Yeah, you bet. And I apologize, I said astronomy. I meant to say astronomer. Because that's, that's one of the things I didn't tell you is that that is the coolest name. Um, <laughs> I love that. When I first saw that, I was it intrigued me so much. Um, but I think that is the coolest name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks. Well, we'll try to get some leverage out of it. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on Sales Lead Dog. I've really enjoyed speaking with you, and I wish you guys all the best of luck. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube. And you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales Lead Dog is supported by Impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business, guaranteed.